Uh, well, good morning, everyone. I want to say good morning to all of our campuses, Bluntstown, Chipley, Fairhope, Wakala, and Mariana. Hey, it's so good. If you haven't picked up on it by now, after that song and the, the bumper, we are going to be starting a brand new series entitled today, What Happy Couples Know. But before we get into that, let me just kind of give you um, some awesome information, because uh, some of you started asking, this is the time of the year when we uh, start signing up for camps for a middle school and a high school, and this year we're doing something completely different. Can you imagine? Imagine RCC doing something brand new, completely different, right? Can you imagine? Yeah, that's right. So here's the deal. We're, we're doing something completely different, and it's going to be exciting. We are going to bring all five of our campuses together, and we're going to do our own camp. Because we have so many campuses now. Yeah, it's cool. Go ahead, celebrate it. Yeah, it's going to be awesome, awesome, awesome. And so what's going to happen is, you may want to write these dates down, uh, you'll start getting this information out through our student ministry as well, and we'll post it on our website and uh, put out social media stuff about this as well. But middle school camp, which we're calling Frequency, it's going to happen July the 24th through the 26th. And signups begin this past Wednesday, uh, so you can go ahead and sign up on our app or our website. And then the other thing is, we're going to be doing our high school camp, it's going to be June the 17th through the 21st, and we're calling it The Walk. And Sign up begins for that on February the 20th. Now, here's why we're doing camps, because we got five campuses. All of our campuses are doing the same thing with their student ministry, and we think it's just going to bring a lot of synergy to bring all of our students together and be able to, um, like, build on what we're already doing. The other thing is we think it would create great synergy between our campuses. The other thing with us doing it in-house, then the, uh, our, our team leaders and everybody who's leading our student ministry, you can participate and you can start having you know, some say in that. The other thing is because we're a strategic partner of North Point, we're able to bring in conference speakers that you would pay a lot of money at other conferences and other camps, and we're able to bring them in because of our partnership with them. And so the quality of communication is going to be absolutely amazing. And our, can't, our students will get to be up close and personal. And they're not just going to be with like another couple thousand other students, but they'll get to have some interaction with these leaders as well. And we've been listening to you about the cost of camps. And a lot of you are going, man, $500 a year, $400 a year. That's way too much. So our high school camp this year is going to be $300. Our middle school camp is going to be $200. So we thought, man, we, we've been listening to you about that as well. So we're excited. Well, I mean, I, I hope you know I'm excited. I'm really excited about what this is going to do uh, to bring our students together and just watch God do some amazing, amazing things. So, um, yeah, yeah, you can celebrate that on all the campuses. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome, going to be awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, um, go ahead and take out your talk notes. So we're inside that worship guide, and let's uh, dive in today um, to our series entitled as we kick off What Happy Couples Know. And if today is your first day with us on any of our campuses, we want to say, hey, thank you for making us a part of your weekend. We don't think you could have picked a better weekend to be here because this next three weeks, we're going to be talking about marriage relationships. Now, here's the thing. If you are a married woman, here's what I know, that probably excites you to death because in your mind, I mean, like your husband could really use some help, right? I just say, women, keep your elbows to yourself the next couple of weeks. Please do that. I can get through to him better than your elbows can, okay? Just saying. 
Now, here's the other thing. If you're single and tired of everybody asking you, like, when you're going to get married, or if, like, you're a guy and you're married or you're single, like, you probably might not be quite as excited about this as maybe other people are. But, I mean, like, women who are married are. are but you can relax because here's the thing. We have planned this whole series with everybody in mind. Now, let me just explain why the next three weeks is so important to all of you, whether you are married or not married. So first of all, to all of you who are single adults here, see, most of you are a little bit hesitant to get married. In fact, here's what's happening. The average age of a man and a woman getting married, it keeps getting older and older and older. And part of the reason for that is because single people know people who are married, right? I mean, you just know people that are married. I mean, you watch their first year be rough. You watch their second year be rough. You watch the first 20 years be rough and tough, you know, that kind of thing. But here's the thing, if you're single, we got some great news for you. It doesn't have to be that way for you because you have the opportunity to learn from us. And by the way, being single, I mean, it is a great stage of life. And, and now you can prepare as a single person for when you're married and avoid many of the the wrecks and the tough times that many married people have had because they did not prepare. You can learn from our mistakes. You can say it that way. Now, here's what we believe if you're single. You'll walk away from this series clear on two things. One, you will know the qualities that you look, should look for in a date and in a potential mate. And two, you'll know the qualities that you should start developing in yourself so you're the kind of person that the kind of person you want to marry is going to be looking for. So if you're not married, this series should be so helpful for you, so make sure that you're tracking with us for these next three weeks. Now, let me just talk to you men for just a moment. Here's the reality, men. We hate married series because we feel like we can't win, right? See, like with, with most marriage sermons, you think, well, I suck at that too, right? Not in these three weeks. I got you covered, guys. This is going to be real practical. Like you pop the hood, you grease, you get your hands real greasy, and you fix something kind of stuff, right? So we're going to help you. That's my commitment to you as men. I think you too will enjoy this series. Now, with that being said, and you want to write this down, here is the premise for the next three weeks of conversation. This is kind of the foundation that we're building this next three weeks of conversation on, and that is this. The best marriages get the most maintenance. The best marriages get the most maintenance. See, like whenever you talk to couples who have marriages that wish that you could have or you could have, here's what you're going to discover. They put a lot of work in making and keeping their marriages great. See, great marriages don't just happen. See, the best marriages get the most maintenance. And don't miss this. See, the difference between having a so-so kind of marriage and a great marriage, it is this one word right here, maintenance. Now, ladies, I know that this doesn't like fix everything in your marriage in like one romantic kind of moment, but this is so true. So today, to get us moving in the right direction with our marriage, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about one of the secrets that happy couples know. 
And it's something that they have to continually work on. They have to give a lot of maintenance to. But it is a secret that happy couples know. This is it. This is what they've learned. They've learned to fight forward. Now, I realize for some of you, like fighting probably is not something like you plan for in your marriage. Like when you're dating, you didn't sit around and go, no, we're going to have these great fights. We're going to know how to fight well. No, you didn't do that. Because see, here's what happened. On, Mar- on your marriage day, like you stood in front of a crowd, you held one another's hand, kind of like you saw in this bumper video before the sermon, and before God and all your family and your friends, and you pledged your undying love and your unending devotion to one another. Remember that day? Some of you do. Some of you wish you didn't remember that day, but we'll help you with that as well. See, back then when you were doing that, nobody could convince you of her flaws or his flaws. I mean, like, you were just so in love. Man, you just thought they were so incredible. And then you get done with the marriage ceremony, and you go on your honeymoon, and if you're like Melody and I, and about 36 hours later, you're fighting. And for some of you, your fighting hasn't stopped since. So what happened? I mean, if you're married, you kind of know what's happened. You may not have ever articulated, but you kind of know what's happened. The first thing that happened is that our emotions leveled out. You know, we're done the dating stage. We're now through the wedding. Our emotions leveled out. And you started to notice like a few dents and a few scratches in your spouse. And and they didn't quite seem quite as perfect as they did like on your wedding day. You know, that's not a bad thing. In fact, that's really a normal thing. But you have to understand that getting married, it didn't create those issues in you or it didn't create those issues in your spouse. It just revealed them. But here's what happens. As those issues come to the surface, it creates conflict. Now, the other reason people fight is because both you and your spouse, they change over time or you change over time. See, like, you're not the same person that you were, like, five years ago, and and neither is your spouse. I mean, marriage changes us, careers change us, kids change us, age changes us. So after a while, you're sitting there looking at your spouse, and you're thinking, that's not the man I married, or that's not the woman I married, or you're telling your friends that, that's not the man I married. Like, if you're supposed to be surprised by that, of course they're not the man or woman you're married. You're not the man or woman that they married. Both of you change. So the key is to learn to love through all the changes because, see, if you want to hold on to that five-year-ago-like version of them and not love the today version of them, you are in for some serious conflict. And the truth is, it's actually unhealthy not to have some healthy conflict in your marriage. Some conflict is a good thing if you handle it in the right way. So the question is this, how do you learn to fight forward? And when we say fight forward, here's what we mean by fight forward. We fight in a way that propels the relationship forward, not backward. Because most couples, the way they fight, it propels the relationship backwards, not forward. So how do you learn to fight in a way that propels the relationship forward, not backwards? Now, if you don't do this, I'm going to tell you, if you don't learn how to do this, what eventually is going to happen is you're eventually going to kill your friendship in your marriage, then you'll kill your intimacy, and then ultimately you will kill 
your marriage. So you need to fight for it. And here's the good news about this. The good news is this, is that Jesus not only told us how to do this, but he also showed us how to do this. And we're going to see the showing part at the end of the talk. We're going to talk right now about how he told us to do this. So today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you what Jesus said is like this essential key to like dealing with any kind of relational conflict. And it is especially true when it comes to this thing called the marriage relationship. Now, here's the thing. What we're going to look at today, and this is why this applies to you, whether you're married or single, it can be applied to any conflict that you have in any relationship. But applying it in marriage is the key to fighting forward, to fighting in a way or having conflict in a way that is productive to the relationship. So here's Jesus' advice. If you want to follow along your Bibles, we find this in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Here's what Jesus says. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now here's why this is so relevant to marriage. Like, nobody has the ability and the ammunition like your spouse to judge you. I mean, think about it. I mean, they've seen you at your worst, and they've seen you at your best. I mean, they know your flaws, so it's so easy for judging to begin to become like this habit in every marital relationship. I mean, like, you can quickly, if you think about it, you can so quickly fall into the habit of pointing out the flaws of your spouse. And just like Jesus said, they too will begin responding by pointing out yours. So here's what ends up happening, and this is what Jesus is saying. It's like you point out their flaws, and they respond by pointing out more of yours, and you point out more of theirs, and you just end up with this marriage that is back and forth of judging each other and pointing out to each other's flaws, and you just end up with this marriage that is just full of judgment. And Jesus is saying, relationally, don't go there. Now, something else you need to understand. Let me define for you what Jesus means by this word judge right here. This word judge, it means to condemn. Jesus is saying, it's not that he's not saying that you don't ever make moral judgments or confront someone in love. No, what Jesus is saying is, listen, you don't condemn somebody with your words. You, You don't beat somebody down with them. You don't diminish someone else with your words. And see, When you're in a marriage, you have this extraordinary power in your hands at all time. Think about it. You have in your hands the power to help or to hurt your spouse. See, in a marriage, like your words, your actions, your beliefs in them, your attitude toward them, I mean, it it can either propel you forward or it literally, your words can crush them. And you know what? They have the same power with you because they are the one person in the whole world who holds your hand or holds your heart in their hands. And that's why their approval and their affirmation of you, it's why you crave it so much and why you desire it so much. Because think about it. Other people, they can talk about you and it may kind of like wound you slightly, but the reality is this. It's when your spouse says something about you that's judgmental, that's critical, condemning, demeaning, diminishing. I mean, it cuts you to the core. 
which is why judging in a marriage kills a marriage quicker than anything. So Jesus says, in every relationship, and especially in the marriage relationship, you better learn not to judge. You better learn not to condemn, not to diminish the person that you have conflict with because your words carry a lot of weight and it can breathe life or it can breathe death into your relationship. And then he gives us this warning in verse two. Notice he says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, in your marriage relationship, what he's saying is you create the standard. You create the standard that you are going to be held to when it comes to the way other people judge you, especially your spouse. So let me ask you a simple question. How do you want to be judged when you are not the best version of you? How do you want to be judged like when you fail or you're impatient or you're irritable or you're having a bad day? I mean, think about it. You want mercy for your mistakes, don't you? I mean, you want that other person to give you mercy and be understanding and forgiving to you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Whatever standard that you hold other people to, that's the standard that you are going to be held to. Now, let me just talk to us men for just a moment here because, I mean, this is, this is so huge for us to understand. Guys, God wired every one of you to be the spiritual leader in your home. Now, that phrase, spiritual leader, I mean, it has gotten so misused so much of the time. And then when we, most of the time, guys, we hear this term spiritual leader, it's like we cringe because we feel like we can never live up to that. But being the spiritual leader of your home, it simply means that you set the tone for the quality of your relationship, which means this, and this is good news for all of us guys. It means this, every one of us guys, we can be the spiritual leader of our home, even if your wife has been a Christ follower longer than you've been a Christ follower, even if your wife prays more than you do, reads the Bible more than you, goes to more Bible studies than you, because you can be the spiritual leader, and here's why. Because being the spiritual leader means you set the tone for the quality of your relationship in your marriage, which basically means this. Your wife is like a mirror. She reflects back to you whatever she is receiving from you. So if, like, if you give her unconditional love, I mean, it's like easy for her to give it back because she feels secure in that. If you give her acceptance, then you'll get acceptance in return. But if you start treating her like in negative ways, guess what's going to come back? That's going to come back. Because, see, you set the tone for the quality of your relationship. And so, men, if you don't like the tone of your relationship, as the spiritual leader, you're setting the tone, and you can change that. Now, while that's true for us men in marriage, it's true for all of us, men, women, married, unmarried. Like Jesus says, how you judge, the tone you set for any relationship is going to be reflected back to you. And then Jesus takes this to a whole other level, makes it real personal. Notice verse 3. Here's what he says. He says, so why... Do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Because he's like, you're setting the tone, 
And by how you handle this part in verse three, it really sets a tone. He says, so why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, when most of us read that and we're in some kind of marriage conflict, we go, well, Jesus is confused. Because <laughs> I don't have a plank in my eye. <laughs> I mean, my issues are just a little speck. My spouse's issues, I mean, that's the big issue. See, for most of us, when we look at our relationship, especially marriage, we go, like, our part, my part in the conflict is just like little tiny. They're the one with the big old plank in their eye. See, in, in our mind, it's this. This is kind of how we think, and this is why we see our actions and reactions as a speck. We go, of course I shouldn't have said those things. But I would have never said those if they hadn't started it. I mean, isn't that like so middle school, you know what I mean, or elementary school kind of thing? Or, you know, I, I know I shouldn't have lost my temper. But you know what? He or she, they just keep pushing my buttons. See, we always think it's the other person that they're kind of like the ultimate problem. And, and like, while we have our little bitty issue, if they would just clean up their act, then we wouldn't need to clean up ours. But Jesus knew when he said this, that that kind of attitude doesn't draw people closer together or resolve conflict at all. In fact, the truth is, and this is true in any relationship, but it's especially true in a marriage, and that is this. Whenever you minimize your offenses and maximize your spouses, you are driving a wedge right into the heart of your marriage relationship. And you know the truth is? Because most of us never like bear the full weight or own the full weight or the severity or the consequences of our actions, what we tend to do is we tend to drive more wedges into our marriages than what we ever imagined. You know, if we owned our personal issues, we wouldn't be so quick to judge our spouse. And Jesus knows that. So Jesus decides not, not to let us excuse or point fingers or, or like blame our spouse. In fact, notice what he says in verse four, which take his, takes all that away from us. He says, how can you say to your brother, and in, in this application, your spouse, how can you say to your brother or your spouse, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. Literally, he's going like, how do you think you have the moral authority to do what you're doing to your spouse? Jesus is saying, you know, you, do you know you're walking around in your marriage looking like an idiot? And like, you're trying to fix all these little things in your spouse and you, you've got this big old plank just like protruding out of your forehead and, and like you're going around pointing out all the specks in their eye and there's like this big sequoia tree in yours. And it's like, you wonder like whenever you start pointing out their specks, it's like, why do they get mad when you bring up their stuff? Here's why they get mad. Because every time you try to get close to them and point out their speck, you're knocking them upside the head with your big old plank. And it's like you're blaming them for the problem. And Jesus said, listen, that kind of hypocrisy, it's got to stop if you want to have a great marriage. See, he says, listen, you've got to learn to fight forward. In other words, you've got to learn to fight in a way that propels the relationship forward. So stop focusing on their speck and start dealing with the plank in your own life. So here's the question you need to ponder for yourself today, especially if you're married. And this is true even if you're not married, but in the context of your marriage, here's the question. What's your plank? What's your plank? 
not what is their plank. Because if I would sit down with you and ask you like, hey, like what are the issues in your spouse's life that they need to change? I mean, like you could probably write off a list without even thinking. But what are the issues in your life that are contributing to the conflict? Those are the real problems that we need to focus on. But most of us, if you really stop and think about it, we're kind of blind to our own faults. So what we want to do today is is we want to give you some suggestions to help you get started processing this question. There was a guy by the name of John Gottman. He conducted a study of um, 49 different couples over 16 years. And as he was doing this study, he began to predict whether each of these couples would stay together or whether they would divorce. And he ended up right on 91% of his predictions. Now, guess what he identified as the predictors of divorce. There were four issues that he said led to marital death. And they all revolve around the speck plank relationship issue that Jesus is addressing in this passage. Let me give you four of them because this will help you begin to identify maybe what your plank is. Here's the first plank, and that is this. It's criticism. And let me just say this. Criticism is more than a complaint about something that annoys you. Criticism is like an attack on another person's character. It's like when your conflict with your spouse moves from attacking the problem to attacking the person. And some of you, that's where you're at in your marriage right now. That's all you do. I mean, like nothing is issue-based. It's all personal. And it's just like one personal stab after another. And Gottman says, like, when that happens, you're like on a fast track to divorce in your marriage because criticism is a plank. And then he gives another one. He says that contempt in marriage is a plank. Like contempt is like when you display any kind of disgust for your spouse. And this one happens, I watch this all the time in marriage relationships. And I, that used to be one that I did. And it was so hurtful to my wife. And I had to apologize so many times to her over the years for that. But contempt is like when you show any kind of disgust. And it can be like in the form, because this is kind of how I played it out, in like condescending humor. Or you might, yours might be like name calling or belittling or demeaning comments. Here's the big way that you see it played out most of the time. It can be in simple body language, like rolling your eyes or just kind of glaring them, you know, give that look. And you know what that does? Contempt, what it does is inevitably it builds up more conflict and it pushes the couple further apart rather than drawing them toward reconciliation. And some of you, like, Man, this is your passive-aggressive way of conflict. And here's what. Because you do contempt well in your marriage, and it's so passive-aggressive, this is like your style of conflict. I mean, you think you're so much better than your spouse who loses their temper. But your contempt, your passive-aggressive style, it's inflicting just as much damage because contempt is a plank. The third one is this. And that's defensiveness. Defensiveness is basically when the guilty party refuses to back down or apologize whenever there's kind of like a conflict going on. So like whenever like you blame your spouse for the problem and you make excuses for your behavior or you kind of act like you're morally superior to them or you kind of act like you're the judge over the conflict, then you have fallen into this trap of defensiveness. 
And what ends up happening when you become defensive in your marriage is you're like in this standoff between two enemies rather than reconciliation between allies. Now, defensiveness is part of the reason why phrases like, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? It's why some of you treat those phrases like a cancer in your marriage. Because you're so defensive that you won't say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Now here's what we know. If those three phrases are not uttered often in your marriage relationship, your marriage is probably gonna struggle. If not struggle, it's gonna be on the rocks. You've gotta own your part. I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? So defensiveness is a plank. And, And then there's a fourth one. And this one, man, we're the worst at this, and this is called stonewalling. Stonewalling is when you stop working for oneness in your marriage, and you start living like separate but parallel kind of lives. And Gottman says this can include like having separate financial lives, having separate social lives, having separate like spiritual lives. See, like when you stonewall, you are basically tuning out your spouse and you're ignoring them. And it's like you turn around and you just walk out on them in a conversation and don't even recognize that you're doing that because you have disengaged emotionally and you've kind of checked out on the relationship. And what it does is it sends this message to your spouse that you're really not interested in engaging with them. And so stonewalling is also a plank. Now, don't miss this. The conclusion to Gottman's research was this. When these four issues show up in your marriage, statistically, it will end in divorce if you don't deal with them. And of course it will. When you look at these, you go, absolutely. Because see, when you're judging your spouse, this is what judging does. I mean, the very, the plank speck issue that Jesus is talking about here, this covers it all. Because see, like whenever you judge your spouse, all four of these issues, they show up. Now, here's the good news. If you've got any of these issues in your marriage, in fact, if you've got all four of them in your marriage right now, you can change it. You don't have to divorce. And the solution is remarkably simple. Jesus gives a solution in verse five. Notice what he says. You hypocrite, here's the solution. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or your spouse's eye. So basically Jesus is saying like, you wanna have a great marriage? You want your spouse to become like a better person? Jesus says the way you do that is you work on yourself before you try to help them. And if you reverse the process, he goes, you are a hypocrite. And this word hypocrite right here means that you assume a role that isn't your role to assume. In other words, don't, don't miss what Jesus is saying when he says, hey, you hypocrite. He's saying, listen, it's not your responsibility to change your spouse. Make sure you get this. It's not your responsibility to change your spouse. It's your responsibility to cherish them. In fact, let's write that down. It's not your responsibility to change your spouse, but to cherish your spouse. Your job isn't to fix your mate. 
is first, Jesus said, to fix yourself and to love them the way that Jesus loved you. And until you make that shift, it's like your marriage is going to suffer. So what's the secret to fighting forward? Write this down. The best marriages believe the best. The best marriages, they, they don't focus on the flaws of their spouse. They choose to focus on their own. That they make the decision that I'm going to magnify my faults and I'm going to choose to minimize theirs and believe the best about them whenever I see some of those faults or some of those flaws. See, the secret to fighting forward is like, hey, my spouse may have just a few little issues, but my issues, I mean, they're like big planks and I'm going to get my issues fixed. See, that's what the best marriages always do. They believe the best about their spouse. So this week, we got some homework for you. We're going to give you a way to practice this in your relationships, in all your relationships, whether you're married or single, but especially in your marriage. So first of all, this week is Valentine's Day week. So here's what we're challenging all of you to do, okay? We're challenging you to go on a date. Men, women, either one of y'all make the date. You know, try to both be fighting to create the date. Fight in a good way, not a bad way. Say, hey, man, we need to have a date. Let's have a date. Go on this date and tell your spouse how much they mean to you. Do not critique them at all on this date. We want you to cherish them. Tell them how wonderful they are, how much you love them, how much you appreciate them. Some of you will want to go to a place like a melting pot, you know, where there's this fondue deal and you can have like several hours because you need to do that. Others of you need to go through a drive-through on your date. I'm just, I'm just, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Whatever your date is, just make sure the whole time you're on this date, you're just cherishing them. Now, here's the other thing we want you to do to practice fighting forward. And, and this is such a big deal because this is how you believe the best in your spouse. And that is this, show mercy to your mate. See, showing mercy is what it looks like to believe the best in your spouse. It, it means that any time that they do something that you don't appreciate or that you don't like, what you do is you shower unlimited doses of mercy on their specs. And here's what mercy means. You might want to write this down. Mercy means not giving someone something they deserve. So instead of giving them the criticism or the critique that you think they deserve, I mean, you give them appreciation and compliments instead. And what you do is you go deal with your planks and then you give mercy for their specs. Now, if you're single, listen, you need to practice expressing mercy to the people in your life at school or at work. Because see, you wanna be a pro at this once you're getting married. Because see, the best marriages, they are filled with mercy. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, um, Paul, I don't think I can do that. There's just been way too many things that have happened in our marriage. There's just way too much water under the bridge. We got too much baggage. I don't think I can just all of a sudden start showing mercy. And I want to tell you, you can. You just need to think about it from a different angle, and it'll be so much easier for you to step in and to begin to show mercy 
to your mate. See, you know this big plank that you have in your eye that you've been carrying around? It's not only offensive to your spouse, it's also offensive to God. That, that plank that you have that you've not been recognizing, it's called sin. And sin is choosing to act in a way that contradicts God's character and God's purpose for your life. I mean, but think about it. And this is how you have to think differently about it. How has God responded to your plank that you've been carrying around? He showed mercy to you, hasn't he? He hasn't given you what you deserved. He, out of his mercy, he has responded to your plank, to your sin, with love and grace and forgiveness. So vertically, you receive God's mercy every day through his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And once you recognize that, it's a whole lot easier for you to show mercy horizontally to the people around you in your life, especially your spouse, by showing them love and grace and forgiveness. Because see, you're not doing anything for your spouse. You're not doing anything for the people in your life as big as what God has already done for you when he showed you mercy. Listen, folks, if you want to know what the cross is all about, this is what the cross is about. Jesus died on the cross to take your sins on himself and to let you know that God is not here to show you contempt and to criticize you. God's goal is not to judge you. He's not like trying to pay you back for what you've done. He's trying to win you back by showing you mercy. And out of his mercy, you receive grace and love and forgiveness so that his relationship can be restored and made right with you. And you know what? In your marriage, if you follow this model of mercy, the same thing will happen to you. Listen, any marriage can be saved if people will deal with the planks in their eyes and they will show the same kind of mercy. And mercy shows itself by giving grace, love, unconditional love, and forgiveness, the same kind of love that Jesus showed to them. So here's the question again this morning. What's your plank? And will you be honest about it? Would you even go so far as to admit it to your spouse? And then would you choose to believe the best about your spouse and show mercy to your mate? Will you follow Jesus' example on the cross and extend mercy to win back your spouse? Because see, when you show mercy, you're gonna be giving grace, love, and forgiveness over and over. It's unconditional, it's unlimited. See, that's what it looks like to fight in a way that propels our relationship forward. And that's what our marriages need the most. Will you pray with me on all of our campuses? Heavenly Father, I pray that today we become people of mercy. God, for some sitting in the rooms this morning, their first step to fight forward is to receive your mercy, that gift that you want to give them. Because out of your mercy, you give the gift of forgiveness, grace, and unconditional love.
And if you're on any of our campuses this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you know that that is your first step, to be able to give mercy, you have to receive it. Will you just pray this prayer in your heart? Say, dear Jesus, today, I get, I get my plank. And I confess that I've sinned against you and I've sinned against the people around me and ask you to forgive me of my sin. Thank you for showing me mercy and out of your mercy extending grace and love and forgiveness to me so I can be in a relationship with you. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior today. God, I just pray that you'll help each person who's made that statement today to continue to move forward and just let us know and take the next steps that will help them stay on this path of giving away what they have just received. God, but for all of us, I pray that you help us to make the choice today to say, God, today I'm going to begin to do for my spouse, my future spouse, what you've done for me. I'm going to learn to cherish them by believing the best, and I'm going to show that I believe the best by extending mercy. God, we need the power of your Holy Spirit to do this. And we're counting on that because you said you will be with us always. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, everyone, you have a great day fighting forward with your spouse, and uh, we'll see you next week.